to another edition of Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where this little piggy went to market and this little piggy stayed home to watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 76, which begins with Eddie sneaking up on the casting call for the movie Babe, and it ends with Iron Bar catching sight of Screwloose. Joining us this week are Professor Christy Porter and Jerry Porter from the Indiana Jones Minute. Hey, guys. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I'm very happy to be here. It is such a great thing that you two are both on representing the Porter clan. I think the only way this could have been better is if we had gotten my other friend Porter, Nate Porter, no relation, to show up for this and just make it a Porter Palooza. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> Maybe a very distant relation. That would have been fun. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, we're not too concerned with who's related to who in a post-apocalypse because the most important relationship is between a wastelander and their vehicle. And I say that despite the fact that there are no vehicles in this minute. So what are you going to do? My transitions are famously terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So we might as well just get right into talking about pigs. See, I, I I think there is a relationship here. I think uh, Pig Killer looks at a, who's the young little buck, Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's his son. What? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, you guys didn't catch that. I could go for that. No, I mean I, I don't mean to start things off all screw loose and shaky here, but that's his son, <laughs> right? I'm gonna need some evidence. <laughs> <laughs> He says at the beginning, you know, that he was trying to feed his, uh, he was trying to feed his, his kids, right? And that, that's why he wound up uh, being imprisoned, is he, he killed a pig, but he did it to feed his family. And I think that's what's so fantastic about this little deranged uh, meeting, or should I say uh, reunion? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that was one of the theories we had when we first met Pig Killer, this whole idea of maybe the kids that he had to feed are the waiting ones and he wandered away from them and went crazy with the sun or something like that well then they would all be there see that's uh that's the universe calling right now to tell me i'm right that's uh, (laughs) no he i actually think they share a knowing uh like they share this smile together and pig killer points at eddie and he smiles and with his eyes he says son (laughs) Now, it's interesting that you bring it from that angle because Julia was reading in the novelization and there's actually more in the book to this scene than just knowing glances and smiles. Yes, I really don't like this moment. It's odd. It's out of character for Pig Killer to be so nonverbal. He's I wouldn't call him a well-spoken person, but he does more than grunt and point in other times that we've met him. So I thought that this was out of character, but in the screenplay, Eddie walks up to pig killer and asks if he is captain Walker because Eddie is still looking for captain Walker. Mm. So he sees another adult and says, Hey, are you captain Walker? In not so many words, of course. Because he's like five years old. Mm, And then let me jump back to it. And then Pig Killer asks him, 
where did you spring from? And Eddie replies, planet Earth. Hmm. Which is the kids, that's their idea of how they were born, is they were just born from the Earth. Which is an idea I just love. Love that idea. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's unfortunately false because he's he's sprung from pig killer's loins. Ah. <laughs> no, I've, I'm I just watched the minute again. I'm watching that that look right now, and I I I am not arguing with you, Julia here, but I think what is is indicative of is we've caught pig killer, an otherwise uh, loquacious individual, and he is speechless right here. Hmm. Mm. Okay. And and I think if you watch Eddie looks. And he has a little furrowed brow, as furrowed a brow as you've ever seen on a five-year-old. And, you know, Pig Killer looks up and all he does is point. And he, I, I mean, he, he, he kind of, he goes, ah, like, I can't believe it's you. <laughs> but because Pig Killer, let's be clear, Pig Killer's kind of a, you know, a couple of, you know, fries short of a Happy Meal. Oh, definitely. <laughs> That's all he can do. Like he he's not like, oh my god, son, that would be out of character. He's kinda like, ha, what are the chances? Yeah, you're right. Like he he's he's kind of the wonderful crazy variable. He he even says like later on there he's like, Okay, what's the plan? And he's like, plan? <laughs> There's no plan. <laughs> yeah. I definitely agree that he's crazy. <laughs> and I can get behind him being part of the waiting ones previously and having taken a leaving, being separated from the group somehow, probably falling behind during the trek through the desert and being left behind and going insane from the sun mm -hmm. and ending up in Barter Town. I think that's an incredibly plausible hypothesis. That's possibly the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, you could be right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, oh, but, but that's so sad. Oh, oh, then you are lucky you are with us for these minutes and not <laughs> yeah, the previous true. few minutes. <laughs> because there, there's a storyline that was dropped from the movie about one of the waiting ones who doesn't make it through the nothing. Oh, no. Who is left behind because he's injured. He gets left out in the sun. He goes mad. And he dies right before they make it to Barter Town. Oh, my goodness. It's really sad. <laughs> That's really sad. I'm glad they left it out. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> and Julia was right about you just barely missing it because that was last week's content. Yeah. If, if you're trying right. to provide for your family and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're caught killing a pig to feed your family and it's tough times, it's, uh, let's say, post-apocalyptic nuclear summer season then the fact that you are sentenced to death or i think he says the big one right life imprisonment mm -hmm. yeah you know that might be enough to make you go mad yeah i'm not convinced that he was always crazy i think he was already three sheets to the wind as far as insanity goes before they threw him in the pig pit and this just sailed home for him <laughs> <laughs> Put him over the edge. Exactly. But that's what's, again, look at how remarkably calm he is here. And I'm looking at uh, mm -hmm. young little Eddie's face right now, and he has a real genuine smile. I'd even say a fondness for uh, Pig Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like, I recognize him. I do find it funny that as we come up on the scene, that the man who's been branded Pig Killer is there watching over the piglets and stroking mm -hmm. one of them to mm -hmm. calm it as it's sitting yep. there suckling. Now it's funny you say that because 
in my notes, before I read this section of the screenplay, my question was, is he there tending to the young and vulnerable? Or is he there uh, plotting his next move (laughs) to take the piglet because it is vulnerable? But then I read the screenplay and he's absolutely taking care of the piglet. Mm. Oh, good. Yes. In the screenplay, the piglet is an orphan and he is feeding it. So it's even better. It's even nicer. I feel much better about that. Well, you mean like an orphan like Eddie? Exactly like Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) I think, look, George George Miller. George Miller knows what's going on here. I think he's he's actually having pig killer tend to the pigs. And this is the first time that I, I recall seeing a piglet is because just you're just uh, bolstering my theory that it's his son. <laughs> I don't mean to beat a dead pig here, but... It's a live pig. Right. <laughs> you wouldn't expect it, but pigs actually have very complex nursing and suckling behaviors. I'm reading off of the Wikipedia page. Don't think I know all this stuff off the top of my head. But nursing occurs every 50 to 60 minutes, so they have to eat on the hour, and... The sow requires stimulation from the piglets before milk let down. So the piglets want to eat. They have to go up to the mom and, like, let her know that they're ready for it before she will allow the milk to flow. And there is a bit of a competition for teats. The teat order denotes a hierarchy. It starts forming at a very early age and... (laughs) You know, certain pigs in the litter will push towards a certain teat. And if there is a little orphaned piglet, oftentimes there aren't going to be open teats for it to suckle at, which is why pig killer has to feed one by hand. Hmm. So (laughs) I can't believe I'm asking these questions. Are some teats better producers than others? Like, if they're closer to the source, then they have a better flow? According to what I'm reading, the anterior teats produce a greater quantity of milk. So Those are the outside ones, right? Which teat you're at determines how much milk you get. Okay. Which determines your size, which determines your strength to get the best teats. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Now that's the saddest story I've ever heard. This has been quite an education so far. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we haven't really talked that much about pigs. Like, we talked about how many there were and, you know, the noise and the trouble yeah, of having kind of that many like pigs. But with them. we haven't actually talked about the pigs themselves. For instance, their Latin name is Sus Scrofa Domesticus, or just Sus Domesticus for the domestic pig. They're often called swine, hogs, or simply pigs when there is no need to be distinguishing. They are large, even-toed ungulates, and the common pig is variously considered a subspecies of the wild boar. Hmm. The pig's head plus body length ranges from 0.9 to 1.8 meters, so like 35 to 71 inches, and the adult can weigh between 50 and 350 kilograms, which in Imperial is 110 and 770 pounds. Wow. Those are big pigs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm already, like, scared of pigs because I know how vicious they can be, but that makes me even more frightened that they could be up to 700 pounds. Up to 700 pounds and almost six feet long. Wow. So imagine me lying on the ground and a 775 or 770 pound pig lying on the ground wow. next to me my exact life. <laughs> That's not okay. No Julia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine the teats. <laughs> Good point. I have a, a buddy of mine who has a pet pig uh, on purpose named uh, 
Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So they have a pet pig named Sir Francis Bacon. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's surprising is that pigs can be very expressive and have a lot of personality and be very gentle when they're raised to be that way. I think most of the time you get these situations like you have 400 pigs stuffed into a room and their only point in life is to eat poop and produce methane from that poop. And I'm pretty sure if cows produce a lot of methane by burping, pigs probably do the same. True. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're also yeah. usurpers. Uh, government usurpers, if you ever read uh, Animal Farm. <laughs> they did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there was a reason they, they took the pigs in, in this movie? Like, is there something symbolic about the pigs specifically? Well, I, yeah, I think Julia just, well, well, Rick and Julia just said so. It's all about the hierarchy. Mm. It's all about, you know, it's a doggy dog pig suckle tea world <laughs> over there. So just like there are people in charge and then other people who are not in charge there's a social hierarchy for the humans in this movie and for the pigs and for the sucklings absolutely and it's it's a yeah it's grab the anterior teat all you can yeah auntie and iron bar and the collector they're the ones that went right for the anterior teat and they're leaving the other ones uh, i think yeah the posterior teats for people like Max and Jedediah the pilot and all of the low, low ranking, the low life people, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. low ranking people that are struggling out in the wasteland. You know, is, is Auntie a good governess? Hmm, that is something that we've discussed kind of at length. Yeah. And I think the answer is sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is she is she a despot? I'd say so. Yeah, I think she could be classified as such. But they do seem to have uh, rules and law that, uh, you know, I guess she sort of bends a little bit, hmm. but she does seem to be beholden to them. No, that's a fig leaf. <laughs> that's a fig leaf. <laughs> or a pig leaf, for that matter. She's a not at all <laughs> governed by laws. Everybody is out for themselves. The whole trilogy's like this. Nah. Yeah, I think what Auntie has succeeded in doing is forming a small network of control, but it's more like a house of sticks. Mm -hmm. It's not a house of straw. It's not going to fall down at the slightest breeze. Yeah. And it's not a house of bricks that's going to stand up to the big bad wolf. It's more a house of sticks. Yeah, it's going to last a little bit longer. The whole Thunderdome system, <laughs> it's good for now, but <laughs> I'm not sure it can really hold up to much scrutiny mm -hmm. before it's going to fall apart. Which is a lot like the Road Warrior was the same with Gastown. It was basically it's good for now, yeah. but this you know this isn't what we're this isn't what we're really this isn't our you know our end goal. Yeah, and the biggest difference is that Auntie thinks this is her end goal, even though the system she's created isn't sustainable over a long period of time. And something that we've discussed before is that she has not set up the next generation of leadership. Mm -hmm. Once she and Iron Bar and Dr. Dealgood and the Collector die, there's n nobody to continue this on, and that's a major failing. Yeah, so they can dance around and sing Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf all they want, but eventually, 
And I think Max is the wolf in this instance, just to keep the metaphor going of the three little pigs. <laughs> you know, situations will arise where huffing and puffing will take place. And in the end, a lot of this just gets blown down. Well, the, the, the fascinating thing about Auntie is that um, what we learn, I think the most interesting thing is what we learn is before this, uh, you know, the whole uh, apocalypse, she was a nobody. Mm-hmm. And the, the the wheel of chance, I guess in her case, the wheel of fortune, uh, you know, uh, smiled upon her. And now she's, um, I mean, she certainly thinks that she's better off post-apocalypse than she was pre-apocalypse. Yeah, she definitely had her head about her and was probably just in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. to find something or take advantage of something. We've been saying this, oh, since the beginning, that of all of the anthology-style movies set in the Mad Max world, we would love to see an anti-entity explanation movie. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. that's interesting, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'd watch Auntie in any time doing anything, even as in a nobody. <laughs> yeah. I think she's very compelling. Yes, she is. And we've had, we've spent so much time discussing her and I think we still have only like scraped the surface of her, her existence. Oh yeah. People like to laugh. Oh, it's just Tina Turner in a wig. New. Ha ha ha. New. But no, 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 no. New. Even <laughs> Tina Turner in a wig. I, I'm still in love with her. <laughs> yeah. Tina Turner. <laughs> I was, I, I, I wanted a little more oomph from her. What? I, I, I don't mean to say that. I, I actually think she's really good. I think she's really good. Yeah, show I, some I respect she, over there. I didn't think she was <laughs> great. I thought she was really, really cool and really good. I don't know why. I don't know why. I was I was looking for a little bit more. Well, speaking of a little bit more, we leave Eddie and Pig Killer behind. They're over there in the pig nursery. We have someone else here in Underworld that we need to catch up with, and that's specifically Screwloose, who has found a place in the upper pipes above the main, I guess, train? truck vehicle generator thing i still don't know what to call it but he's hiding up there in the pipes and he's watching the guards that have assembled play this little arm wrestling game i'm fascinated with screw loose and his ability to consistently position himself up and away from everybody else mm. he just got here he does not know the lay of the land. The first place he goes is up high and away from everybody else so he can watch but not be part of them. Hmm. Interesting. And of course, Screwloose isn't alone. He also has Copilot with him. Oh, that's right. Copilot is, of course, the monkey. Why does he disobey Max or Mr. Walker? Because Max has been pushed. He pushed himself. He jumped from the pillar that is Captain Walker. And if he's not Captain Walker, then he's nobody. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that why Screwloose is kind of just off on his own doing whatever? Yes. All of the kids were told to wait. I can't remember if it was just outside the pipe or just inside the pipe, but they were supposed to wait for him. And by the time he gets there, they have all scattered to the wind and he has no idea where they are. Well, he is running around with a bunch of kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Max is doing that thing that... When you've got to watch over a bunch of kids, he's doing that thing where he's looking at Screwloose and Screwloose is waving like, yeah, come on out of the pipe. It's great out here. 
and Max is trying to wave him and saying, no, stay hidden. Hmm. Don't reveal yourself. And Screwloose is waving and moving around so much that he jostles Copilot. And Copilot lets out these little monkey noises, which, of course, attracts the attention of the guards, which is not good. Not good. <laughs> but what is good, oh, what is so good, is the expression on Iron Bar's face. When he hears the monkey, gets confused, looks up, and sees a child, and that quizzical look that crosses his face it almost contorts his entire visage yeah (laughs) because he hears monkey he sees child and neither of those things should be an underworld well i would argue that the monkey should be an underworld but did iron bar know that blaster had the monkey before the thunderdome fight Mm, yeah that's a good point did he really know that the monkey belonged in Underworld. Probably not. Yeah. So, okay, I rescind my criticism. Okay. <laughs> I did not understand why um, Max and the kids need to return to Bartertown. Like, I, I didn't, is it because... Where else are they going to go? Well, that that was kind of his thing, is where else are they going to go? But, like, I, I wasn't sure why Max is like, I know what we need to do now. We need to get this master guy. It's not very well explained. We supposed that Max looked at the situation and said, you know what? I feel like I could find Master and cut some sort of deal with him. Mm. Basically approach him and say, hey, I could have killed Blaster, but I didn't. I spared him when you asked me to. The only reason Blaster is dead is because Ironbar killed him. Right. So he was probably hoping, hey, we need food, water, Master, give us those things because last I knew, you were in charge in Underworld. All right. Is Okay. So that's why they are going because to get back to the oasis is too far without food and water is that what it is that's exactly what it is yes huh so what well so why don't they just scavenge for the food and water for you know enough for like two or three days he comes up with this this uh grand plan that of course is pretty risky because Ma- I mean, Max seems to dig the Oasis, right? Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. You guys don't need to go anywhere. This is cool. Yeah. He's very keen to stay there. <laughs> he's kind of like, I don't know if you guys know how well you have it. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, there's nothing out there. And they're like, tomorrow, tomorrow, Land. He's like, nah, nah, forget it. It's This is it. Right. Do you think he is out to collect Master and supplies and take Master with them back to the Oasis? I have absolutely no idea why Master is in the second half of this movie. I think mostly it's a plot device so that we can get the two groups of people to fight over him. Yeah. What's fascinating is, I mean, which is kind of cool, I mean, in a way, but all of these adult figures are morally ambiguous. Like, you know, Max obviously isn't isn't really uh he's he's just out to you know grab the interior teat <laughs> uh you know uh he's kind of like who do i have to kill to get my camels back mm-hmm. and whatever the answer is i'm cool with and then of course you know but i i don't know blasters or i'm sorry masters background but you know, when you find out he's he's kind of using this this guy who's you know m- you know mentally challenged here as as the muscle. Yeah, it's kind of uh, you're like that guy's not exactly a good guy. I mean, I suppose an argument could be made. Maybe you're like, well, the guy was going. You know, he needed sort of a bodyguard to keep Blaster out of trouble or something like that. He wasn't going to survive, obviously. So Master kind of just said, "Do what I do, and you'll live, and I'll take care of you." I don't know. It's strange. 
nobody is really a good guy. Well, no, nobody's ever a good guy. No. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I like that. Except I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why. I yeah. I'm surprised. Master is the guy that they're looking for. Like that they're like, hey, we got to rescue that guy. <laughs> I'm not sure why Max went after Master to begin with. I think it was a good plan because Master knows a lot of things. He's very smart. He knows how to build things. He seems to be talented in an engineer sort of way. And for the waiting ones back in the crack in the earth, they could use somebody like that. They live a very primitive life. And if they had somebody who could take those primitive elements and add some maybe quality of life to that, that would make for a much more comfortable existence for Max, mm -hmm. who is perfectly happy living out the rest of his life in the crack in the earth. But when that plan came about is a complete mystery. They went to Bartertown because they had to to save their lives. They need food and water. I guess they went to Master because, Rick, like you said, Max has something on Master that he didn't kill Blaster. He chose not to when he could have. So he's the only person in Bartertown that Max has any kind of leverage with. Mm -hmm. And then the plan evolves into just plain kidnapping him? Well, I think the kidnapping stems from Pig Killer acting with his own sense of like not a not a solid plan, a sense of a plan. You're very right. Pig By Killer the end has of this week, Pig Killer kind of goes rogue. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, you know, if you're setting up a society, then you need master because you're right i mean he's he's the guy who really understands the plumbing and the engineering behind the methane and the pigs and to keep all the all the lights on literally so if you're setting up a society you're right you do need that sort of thomas edison guy but what's interesting to me is you know max is never trying to set up a society that's true max would be perfectly happy being by himself yeah. He's I mean he's the he's like the the definition of nomadic. I'm still stuck on the part where why do we need master at all? I know that he's got skills, I know that he knows how stuff works, I know that he can control auntie, but and of course everybody's moral and ambiguous, but everybody's still out for themselves. So I don't know that Max has anything on him at all. I don't think that Max has any leverage at all. Hmm. So we've got a nomad with no power over a master. So I can't quite reconcile these uh, ideas. What, what if, let me ask you this. So Max broke the law. So what is it? What is it uh, oh, break a deal, get the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. So he spins the wheel, and it's fair and square. He gets the gulag. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So the gulag is you're just sent out into the middle of nowhere. Now, that's your punishment. Just that action. You're sent out into the middle of nowhere with a, you know, a, a big-ass mask on your head, backwards cuffed on the horse, the end. Right. Which is a real waste of a horse, by the way. <laughs> it is a real waste of the horse, <laughs> but rule, rules are rules. So, uh, you know... Why can't he return and talk to Auntie and he's still he's still around? And she'd be like, hey, what are you doing here? Be like, no, no, no. What do you mean? Rules are rules. I spun the wheel. I did, you know, I did the crime. I paid the time. The end. I got gulagged and now I'm back. <laughs> I got gulagged and yeah, now what's up, Auntie? 
I'm here. Knock, knock. Why don't you play a happy tune for me, Mr. Saxophone Man? Earlier in the story, Max, I guess, interprets the situation that being gulagged means that he's been banished, Mm. like banned from ever returning, more or less kicked out of the club. Sure. And so the whole idea of sneaking back in is, okay, I need to find someone who is more or less on the outs with Auntie as much as I perceive myself to be. Well, the person he immediately thinks of is Master. And I don't think, given the option, Max would say, hey, we need to take Master out of this place. I think the idea was find Master, extort Master for resources, Mm -hmm. basically walking up to him and saying, hey, I was nice to you, be nice to me, give me food, and then we'll leave. I think the whole bringing Master with them was all just pig killer taking over the situation. But who's the one guy in Bartertown who's not going to have food? You're like the prisoner, master. Mm. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I get if you're, again, if you're like, hey, these kids need somebody to set up their, you know, to really pimp out their oasis. <laughs> it's pretty nice, diggins as it is now, but then, you know, that makes sense to me. It was like, we, we need to get, uh, you know, we need, we need to get uh, a captain of, <laughs> of industry here with regards to, you know, getting this place running and the electricity, etc. Maybe even get the plane working. It could also be that Max was under the idea that with Blaster gone, that Master would still be more or less in charge of Underworld. Yeah. Like, he didn't know just how low Auntie had humbled Master. Like, she bumped him all the way down to lower middle management. <laughs> you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have any power right now. So Max shows up and suddenly he sees the guy that he's looking for in a cage and he's like, oh, okay, he might not be able to help me as much, but I'm still going to try because I got to get these kids back to the Oasis before the babysitter starts charging extra. (laughs) Well, and and I would have to see the the laws on the book under quote gulag yeah because you're right if it's you're permanently exiled well then no of course you're not welcome back and you can't even show your face again so that that does make sense of course you'd have to sneak in yeah i know the wheel has a very limited amount of space on it but i feel like they could have chiseled in some fine print (laughs) right that's right better explain it i think the fine print is whatever auntie wants it to be yeah sure Like, there is one section of that wheel that specifically says Auntie's Choice, but let's be real here. The entire wheel is Auntie's Choice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. And it's particularly hard to translate what happens after Gulag because the term Gulag isn't really even used correctly. Nope. So... That's not even what it means. So how are we supposed to know what they expect to happen or what happens if he doesn't die? No clue, because it's not a correct term. They probably didn't write those rules down. Good point. No, probably not. (laughs) Quick side note. One thing I wanted to touch on in this minute is the game that Iron Bar is playing, because there are four guards down here. There's Iron Bar, there's a guy with a big old feathery headdress, and then there are two other individuals. And I took this footage, because the scene here is very dark. They're in Underworld, there's not a lot of light. So I boosted the gamma settings so you could actually see what's going on, and I believe I emailed you a copy of that 
boosted light setting video through the email. So if you got to take a look at it, that's where it is. It's in the email inbox. But you can actually see that the two guards on the left side that Iron Bar is competing against, those are the people who operate the crank for Auntie's elevator, oh. which is why the guy on the left, his arm is literally twice the size of Iron Bar's arm, which just makes no sense as to why Iron Bar is holding his own against this dude. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Guess I missed that. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, Iron Bar's, like, headdress, I think, has has something to do with his... I mean, that guy's got super mojo, super strength, you know what I mean, uh, for his diminutive stature. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if it... Yeah, it's a little bit like one of those Samson things. Like, as long as he wears uh... that kabuki mask on his back, he has the strength and vitality to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either that, or I thought he's, like, I wonder if that's kind of the Dime Store Master Blaster. Oh, my gosh. Like, he couldn't really find somebody to actually, <laughs> you know, to, to, to co-op up, you know, up with. Yeah. <laughs> to actually become hybrid-y. Mm-hmm. So he had to, he did this kabuki mask thing behind it, and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like the cheapo, you know, you know, the dollar store version. It's like a hobby horse. It's like riding a broom, you know, like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Instead of a, that's his, his dollar store version oh of a master blaster. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know. Ridiculous is a good name for this game that they're playing too, because the whole idea is that you're pulling down on a handle and above the handles are metal spikes. And so the idea is that you pull your opponent's hand into the spikes as a way of punishing them. And I guess the person who survives the longest getting holes punched in their hand is the one that wins, I guess. It seemed like a game you could only play once. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like it seems like a game you could only, yeah. yeah, you could only lose once. Right. Good point. <laughs> yeah. This is the kind of game where if they had this for Stallone's over the top, it would have made for a much more interesting <laughs> Oh, good point. You're right. You're right. You're right. But I wanted to bring up this game today because it is going to factor very heavily into Wednesday's Minute. Right. So I wanted to make sure we got it out of the way. Very good. <laughs> we pretty much wrap this minute with the guards sitting underneath that strength game that we were talking about. And they are looking up at Screwloose because he has given away his position with all of the waving and the monkey squealing. And so we're going to put a pin in this and come back to it on Wednesday. In the meantime, Jerry, is there anything you would like to plug? Any place you would like to point people to go check out? Oh, certainly. Um, my sister and I and my co-host Tom and Pete have a podcast that's uh, similar to your guys's where we go through the Indiana Jones movies one minute at a time and, um, you know, talk about all the, the fun and the silliness and the seriousness uh, and uh, God and archaeology, the whole thing. We have a good time. It's called the uh, Indiana Jones Minute, and uh, you can find us there, indianajonesminute.com. We also have a Facebook page, Indiana Jones Minute Listeners Crusade where we have, uh, you know, everybody kind of chimes in with their ridiculous theories and it's <laughs> just, uh, you know, general, general exchange of ideas. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. And that, that's how uh, 
I met you guys. So definitely check out the Indiana Jones Minute. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. (laughs) (laughs) As for us, we are going to come back on Wednesday. Skyfish will show up to whisk Screwloose away from the guards, but as the guards give chase to the intruders, their most dangerous adversary may actually be coming from the one place they've overlooked. So come back, because mystery cliffhanger, ooh. (laughs) The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 76 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time